Right now, though, we are in Lesson 7, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 22. We're going to talk about an issue that the Bible takes for granted as far as your life. When I say takes for granted, it, there's an assumption in the Scripture, and the assumption is, is that you are going to suffer. Now, the Bible takes that assumption, the Bible takes that for granted, that that's the life we have. For you and I as Christians, especially North American Christians, the whole concept of suffering is really foreign to us. And let me just stop for a moment. I would say it's, it's foreign to us in our culture, especially in the last 50 years. Suffering was very much a part of life before the Great Depression in our country. Some of you maybe even remember when you were young, suffering, enduring. Let me it's been the last 20 or 30 years that we've actually uh, have the material wealth that we do in our country. But, you know, so for instance, like when you watch The Little House on the Prairie, and it just seems like when they're just getting ready to get ahead, what happens? They get slammed back into some kind of problem, some disaster happens or whatever. You know, we live in a different culture now where we try to cushion ourselves through insurance and different things like that. We try to cushion ourselves from any kind of problems happening to us. But do we totally cushion ourselves? No, we don't. And yet we still have a very, very hard time with the whole issue of suffering. One of the things that's even harder for us to grasp as Americans is because for a long time now, Christianity has had a sense of respectability in our nation, but that's changing. That's changing, especially among the younger generations. And the whole thought of suffering for Jesus is foreign to us. We, we have subtle forms of it. But you don't hear people being taken off the street and tortured and, 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 and being martyred for their faith in our nation yet. But the reality is, is that Jesus said, if you follow me, you will suffer for me. Suffering is a part of a believer's life, and we need to grasp the reality of that. And so now Peter is going to talk about it. We're actually going to spend two lessons here. We're going to look at the last part of chapter 3 and then the beginning part of chapter 4 over the next two weeks. And we're going to look at the whole issue of suffering because he's dealing with people who understand suffering. He's dealing with people who are suffering for their faith. He's suffering for their faith. And you and I need to grasp the reality of what he's trying to teach us here. So we're going to talk about suffering and the new birth. Suffering and the new birth. So the first thing we're going to look at First of all, let's read the passage, and then we're going to look at what he says about suffering. Look with me, first of all, at 13 through 17. Verses 13 through 17. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So let's talk about the blessing of suffering. That almost sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? The blessing of suffering. In our mind, we can't even comprehend suffering being a blessing, but that's what Peter wants to talk to us about. So first of all, he's going to ask a question. First of all, he's going to ask a question, 
Peter asked a rhetorical question concerning who can harm you as a believer. Who can harm you as a believer? So it's really it's a rhetorical question because he already knows the answer, and you should know the answer. If you are a believer, who can harm you? Anybody? No, only God can, but really nobody. Now you say, well, that's not true. When, when, when suffering hurts, yeah, now somebody can harm your physical body, but can they harm you spiritually? Can they change your destiny? No, so he's asking a rhetorical question here. So now here's the reality. First of all, the surety of suffering. Peter assumes that you will suffer for the sake of righteousness. Again, there's this assumption. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer, the assumption is, Peter has, as he's writing this, is that you are going to suffer for the sake of righteousness. Period. Now, we don't like that. In fact, we want to change that. So we do things like this. So you're at work and people are hounding you. They didn't call you a holy Joe or something. So you decide to lessen your testimony. You understand what I mean by that? You decide to lessen your testimony. You're not going to be as overtly Christian. And when I'm talking about being overtly Christian, I'm not even talking about you carrying around a big Bible. I would never suggest you to do that anyhow. But you might not pray noticeably before anymore, like with a meal or something. Because you don't want to catch heat at work. You don't want to catch heat from, from people or for family. And I understand that. See, when you bear the name of Christ, there is a reality in which you will suffer. And it will come from the most unlikely places. It may come from family. It may come from workers. But we try to what? We try to lessen it. But Peter says there's an assumption. You will suffer for righteousness sake. Period. Period. And you, need, you and I need to grasp that. Let's go on. If you suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Uh, let me just stop for a moment. We, we, we flat out reject the health and wealth message. Does everybody understand me? The stuff that you see on TV, the health and wealth, God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. Which they're really having a hard time with that message right now with this economy. How they're getting by it is to tell everybody that people don't have enough faith. You know, so what we have going on in America right now is a crisis of faith. That's why things aren't prospering. But listen, we flat out reject it, but whether you realize it or not, you've been influenced by it. Because when you talk to a typical North American about blessing, they assume automatically that means everything going well and everything, you know, just being okay in their home. We, we have assumed, made an assumption about what blessing is, and we think of it in terms of material, we think of it in terms of emotional, we think in terms of physical. We think in terms of that kind of blessing, but that's not necessarily the blessing that God is talking about. There is a spiritual blessing that, that goes beyond all of it. It's a spiritual blessing. It's a peace. And what he's saying here is, is that if you endure for righteousness' sake, if you endure suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ, you will be blessed. You are blessed. Now, it doesn't seem like it when you're enduring it, but the reality is, is you are blessed is what he's telling us here. But we've got to remove that whole concept that we have, that materialistic concept of blessing from our mind. So here's the security of it. We are encouraged not to be afraid or troubled by their threats. We, we are temporal focused. Do you know what I mean by temporal focused? We're focused on right now. And when you're temporal focused, when you're in the midst of the frying pan, what's your focus on? How hot is the frying pan? 
what Peter is trying to tell us is, is you and I need to have a different focus, which is a heavenly focus, a focus on later. You know, and this is why the, this is why the Bible uses illustrations like this as a race. How many of you ever remember running in a race? There's only one here. I mean, we got a marathon runner over here, okay? It's not something that you enjoy the whole time, is it, Jess? It can be grueling at times. But when you reach the finish line, besides collapsing, there is a feeling of what? Accomplishment. There's a blessing at the end. See, the Bible uses illustrations like that to talk about the, the hardship of the life that we must endure until we've reached the end, which is heaven. Which is heaven. So, if you and I've got that focus, we've got to focus on the finish line. Let's use that racing illustration. If you and I've got the focus on the finish line, which is being with Christ, then we need to endure the hardship now. So, if I've got my focus on the finish line, I'm not going to be troubled or afraid of their threats. Because, first of all, I'm going to be focusing on the finish line. Second of all, I'm going to be focused on who has me. Who has you? Christ. He's allowed it to come into your life in the first place. Do you realize that? So you don't need to be troubled by their threats or troubled by the problems. See, that's the security of it. So we see the blessing there. Let, let's go on now. Look with me. The focus in suffering. We are to make God the priority in our hearts. When you suffer, when you endure the problems that you're enduring because of your faith, you're to make God the priority. What's more important is God than you? What's more important is God than you. That's reality. In fact, you know, when we go through Acts, we're going to see the apostles, and, you know, they're going to be brought before the Sanhedrin, and Sanhedrin is going to command them to quit preaching in the name of Jesus. And their response is, you know, hey, listen, we're going to keep doing what we've got to do. We're going to keep proclaiming what we need to proclaim. Why? Because they had a greater focus on who God is, not on what earthly man can do. You understand what I'm saying? Not on what earthly man can do. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I think this is a good point, because you look at the apostles and that early church and the willingness to endure for the sake of Jesus. Why do you think they were willing to endure for the sake of Jesus? Because I think this will be helpful to us. Why do you think they were willing to endure for the sake of Jesus? Okay, because he had suffered for them and they witnessed it. Okay, that's good, Bruce. Anybody else want to add to what Bruce is saying? There's a key phrase in what, what Bruce is saying here. Anybody else? Mike said he commissioned them. All right, what else? Okay, the key word is the witness part. They had physically seen Jesus. They had lived with him for three years, witnessed him do everything. In fact, because of what he did, they thought for sure that he was going to overthrow the Romans. And, of course, he didn't, so he went to the cross. So that left them bewildered. But then he rises from the dead, so they saw the resurrected Jesus, and they saw the things that the resurrected Jesus did after he arose from the dead. They saw him ascend into heaven, and they saw the angels testifying that in like manner he'll come back. So they were witnesses to the reality of who? Jesus. Now, when you have that understanding of the greater reality, let's call it that. There's a reality of here and stuff that we go through here. But they have an understanding of a greater reality. The greater reality being who? Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. You think they'll mind enduring what they're going to endure? 
No, no, not at all. In fact, you know, I was preparing for this this week's message, and which brought me into the Fox's Book of Martyrs, looking at the tradition concerning the apostle's death. The apostle Andrew. Everybody remember Andrew, Peter's brother? Let me tell you about his testimony, just real sh- briefly. He was ordered no longer to proclaim the message of the gospel by a governor of a province, a Roman province. He was ordered to quit propagating this message. And he refused, and so therefore he brought upon himself the automatic death penalty with that, and he was to be crucified. And the question was raised, are you fearful of going to the cross? And his response was, I saw one far greater than me go there. I don't fear it, I embrace it. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say that he would embrace that kind of suffering? Why? Because he saw what? Jesus. See, here's the thing. I think the reason why we have such a hard time enduring the suffering that we do, because it's a reflection of how much we embrace Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? Hopefully I'm not going over your heads. I want you all to comprehend it. The real... The more real Jesus is in your relationship, the more you're going to be able to endure. So let me give give you an example. So you endure hard times. What kind of a relationship does a person who endures hard times, what kind of relationship does he have with the Lord if when he goes through hard times, his first initial response is, God, why are you doing this to me? I deserve far better than this. Haven't I served you? What does that say about that person's relationship? You just said it, Bruce. What did you say? Yeah, it's weak. Or it doesn't exist. What do you mean it doesn't exist? Well, it depends on how they respond. Because we know from the parable of the sower that there are some whose faith that springs up is very shallow and then the sun comes and scorches it and it dies away. They never really had any faith at all. It was just a shallow response. So what I'm trying to say to you is the key to understanding how to endure what we're going to endure, and we are going to endure, because that's the assumption, is my walk with Christ, because the more real he is to me, the greater the focus for me to be able to handle what life's going to throw at me, or what others will throw at me, because of my faith. And listen, I'm not saying something that's a foreign concept here. You might be saying, well, I don't know if I agree with you, George. All you've got to do is look at Christians outside of this nation. And look at the willingness of what they endure, because Jesus is real to them. And I'm not just talking real to them on one hour on Sunday morning. They may not even get to meet on Sunday morning. They're real to them throughout the week, every day. It impacts your life every day. That's how real Jesus is. So, we've got to make God the priority. Let me back off a minute. We've got to make Jesus the priority. Maybe you want to write that above the word God in your book there. We've got to make Jesus the priority in our lives. Listen, I've said this to you before. Here's what happened. Here's a concept. You may want to write this down. I've had you write this statement down before. It's not about you. It's about Him. Life is not about you and me. It's about Jesus. And the sooner we grab a hold of that, you know, this morning, I was meditating on that, thinking on that, wrestling with that with regards to my own life. And, and the reality is, is it just comes back over and over again. George, it is not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. See, you've got to make Jesus the priority. See, if I'm making it about me, 
and about me alone, then when I go through hard times, where's my focus going to be? On yourself. That's exactly right. On myself. And you think I'm going to endure hardship pretty good? No. You can just ask Lori. She can tell you what I'm like when I'm sick. You don't want to be with me. Just leave me alone. Let me go to bed and curl up in my blankie. And, uh, so set the Lord apart. Here's, now, here's the thing, though. He's going to go on. We are always, we are to always be ready to give it a defense of our hope in Jesus Christ. Even though, because here's what happens. When you go through suffering, you want to chuck it. The natural tendency is to say, forget this. But even in the midst of that, he's saying, make God a priority. And as you make God a priority, you need to be ready as you to give what? A defense for your hope. Now, notice what he says here. Did he describe it as for your beliefs? Look with me. Let's look at that verse and let's, let's kind of grasp a hold of what he's saying here. Look with me at verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Is he talking about a set of beliefs here? It could be, but... So really, I'm not supposed to just spout off doctrine. Really, I'm supposed to talk about being ready to give a defense for the hope that I have. Who's my hope? Jesus. I need to... In, in the face of the suffering and the things that I go through, need to be ready to give a defense concerning the person of Jesus. Period. I need to be ready to do that. Because here's what, here's not, you say, now why would I need to be ready? Because if you make God the priority, and you go through the hard times, you make them priority, and you go through the hard times, as you go through those hard times, if your focus is on God, people are going to notice how you react to that incident that you're going through. People are going to notice how you endure the problem that you are going through, and they're going to start asking questions. Why are you responding this way? Reminds me of a story, you know, there was a Romanian pastor by the name of Joseph Tan. When Romania was under communism, he was arrested, and as he was being interrogated, this officer would come in, this general would come in, motion for everybody else to leave. And then he beat Joseph Tan. He beat this pastor. Tortured him. The next day, same routine happens. General comes in, motions everybody else to leave, and he's getting ready to beat Pastor Tan. Pastor Tan says, before you begin, I need to ask your forgiveness. The general looks at him, what? He said, I need to ask your forgiveness. Why? Joseph Tan said, I realize that this is the Holy Week. Everybody understand what the Holy Week is? The week of Passion. The week between Palm Sunday and Easter. He said, I realize that this is the Holy Week, and no greater honor should be given to a Christian than to suffer as Jesus did the week that he died. Please forgive me for screaming. The general sat down, dumbfounded. He didn't touch him again, but he did listen to Joseph share about Jesus. See, how you respond is a testimony to others around you. And you need to be ready, Peter is saying here, to give a defense of what you believe in light of the things that you are enduring. Because are you going to go through tough times, everybody? Let's just make, let's, okay, let's, you, you, are, you are in a world of tough times. Your life is going to be marked by tough times. What's your focus need to be in the midst of tough times? 
Jesus. And as others see that your focus is Jesus and that gives you the strength to endure, others are going to be asking questions. So you need to be ready for to give a defense of what your hope is. See, notice something. We don't equate suffering with hope. We don't equate it. We equate suffering with despair. You understand? We, do, we equate suffering with despair. But when you look at somebody who has a hope in the midst of their suffering, you wonder, what, there's something about that person. I've got to know what, what's carrying them through. That's just what he's talking about here. So when people start saying, why? What that you're going through, the reality is, is you're talking about Christ. And you need to be ready to give a defense for that. Here's the thing. We are to have a clear conscience. Look with me, verse 16. Having a good conscience that when, you, when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Now, what's he talking about here? You and I, as we endure what we are enduring, need to have a clear conscience about why we're enduring it. It needs to be because of righteousness, sake, not because you did wrong. You understand what I'm saying? Not because you did wrong. You know, I hear cases all the time, and I just shake my head at them. Christians, it's immaturity. You know, they're, they're, like for instance, when you go to work, what does your employer expect of you when you go to work? Everybody? He expects you to work. Now, if, you, if you're at work and, and you decide to take 20 minutes to share about God with your coworker and you're not doing anything during that time, how's your boss going to react? Huh? Not well. Now, here's what I've heard. The t- I've known many Christians to do that. It was just ministry, brother. And I just need to do what I need to do, share the faith. Really? Did you ever hear a lunch break? See, here's the thing. You'll hear people justify their behavior. That's not having a clear conscience to do that kind of stuff. How many of you have witnessed that kind of thing before? I have. It's not right, is it? What kind of an what kind of testimony is that to that let's say the unbelief let's say the boss isn't a believer what kind of testimony does he get concerning that individual to that unbelieving believer I means excuse me to that unbelieving boss what kind of testimony is there there isn't a testimony well there is a testimony but it ain't good it's not good and so we need to not justify those kind of things because, really, we need to have a clear conscience. For, and here's what will happen. You can almost picture it the next time they're at Wednesday night prayer meeting or some kind of, you know, and, and so-and-so stands up and says, pray for me, my boss is persecuting me for my faith. What he didn't tell you was that he was doing wrong. And everybody said, oh, he's being persecuted for his faith and work. We need to pray. That's a terrible place to work there. Who was at fault? Was the boss? No, the Christian guy, because he didn't do right. See, we're to have a clear conscience, and here's the reason why. We must have a good testimony to silence our enemies and critics. We must have a good testimony. This is what he's saying in verse 16 here. You and I need to have a clear conscience as we live our lives out so that we have a good testimony before our, what, critics, so that we silence them. So that we silence them. You know, so, for instance, I have talked to bosses who were unbelievers, who did have employees who did that kind of thing, and it is not that they were antagonistic towards Christianity, 
they were paying the guy a wage to do a job. Period. Or talk to a supervisor. He needed to have this job done, and he relied on that guy to be a part of the team, and he didn't what? Fulfill his part because he decided he wanted to talk about the Lord. But I mean, isn't that a contradiction? Let me just stop for a moment. You notice the contradiction in what that guy was doing? He was verbally talking about the Lord, but what was he doing with his life? Denying it. First Corinthians 10 says, Whatsoever you drink or eat, whatsoever you do, do all to what? To the glory of God. He would have glorified God more by his testimony of being a good worker than somebody who talks. You see what I'm saying? So we, we must have a good testimony to silence our enemies and our critics. Here's the problem. You know, we have an image problem in this country, and we've earned it. We have earned it because we make excuses for stuff, and we feel that they're the ones who need to get real, not us. We need to get real about our lives. So then notice the principle. Here's the principle. This is a good one. You may want to put a star by this one. This is the whole issue concerning suffering. It is better to suffer for doing what is good rather than as a punishment. If you're going to suffer for Jesus, it's better for you to suffer because you were doing good and living a right life than basically suffering as a punishment. Okay, can you see that guy who comes to Wednesday and he says, pray for me, my boss is persecuting me. One day he's going to stand before Jesus. What's Jesus going to say to him? Lord, do you remember when I was persecuted? When was that? See, it's, it's better to suffer for doing what's than as a punishment. Here's the example of Jesus. He's, when, you look at it, when you think about suffering, always in our mind, first of all, he's got to be our priority is Jesus. Peter immediately goes to the example of Jesus. If I'm going to understand how to endure, if I'm going to understand how to respond, because first of all, isn't that what we're supposed to be about, isn't it? That sanctification is that I become more like who? Jesus. So if I become more like Jesus, I'm going to be I'm going to be responding like Jesus, hopefully. I'm going to be reacting like Jesus. I'm going to endure like Jesus. Do you understand? Now that's a process. We don't all automatically become like Jesus. But we move towards that direction. So Peter here is going to talk about as you and I endure suffering, he's going to give us an example of suffering, which is Jesus. So look with me at verse 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few that is, eight souls were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us baptism. Not the removal of filth from our flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So let's talk about that. First of all, the suffering of Christ. We see it in verse 18. Here's the suffering. Jesus suffered and died for our sins. We all know that. 
Let's not rush over that. Let's not rush over that because that is a concept. When you think about it, this person, you think about your sins in your life. Think about the sins this week that you've committed. Jesus Christ died, suffered and died for your sins this week. Jesus Christ suffered and died not just for your sins, but for the sins of all mankind. And think about what he endured. Think about what he went through. And here's the nature. Peter describes Jesus as the just one who dies for the unjust. Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. He was the God-man. And here's what happens. He dies. He places himself as the sacrifice, the just one, for the unjust ones. Who's the unjust ones, everybody? Us. We are the unjust ones. So let me just stop for a moment. Does salvation have anything to do with you? No. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Where do we deserve to go? Hell. Boy, if we could just keep that in the forefront of our mind, who we truly are. That's humility. Okay? Who we truly are. The nature of his suffering. Here's the purpose. He suffered and died that he might bring us to God the Father. He suffered and died that he might bring us to God the Father. He was the ultimate act of reconciliation. He endured what he endured so that we might be reconciled to the living God. So, First of all, let me just stop for a moment. A lot of us struggle with our acceptance. We struggle with being accepted by people. And we especially struggle with being accepted by who? God. And so we have this concept that I've got to do certain things to be accepted by God. Isn't that right? We fall into that trap. Even if you're saved, you can fall into that trap. Well, if I don't read my Bible, if I don't do this, if I don't come to church, if I don't give, or I don't do all this stuff, you know, and if I, if, if I don't watch this or I don't watch that, God's not going to accept me. Here's what I want you to understand. What we're reading here is, is that your acceptance with God doesn't have anything to do with you. So why do we bondage ourselves, place ourselves in bondage, by thinking that it's got to be what I'm doing that gains his acceptance. His acceptance of me has nothing to do with me. It has to do with who? Jesus. I can never... Listen, can I explain something to you? Can, I, can you do anything for your salvation, everybody? No. Okay. So what makes you think that you can't do anything for your salvation, that after salvation you can do anything for his acceptance? See, we've, we've split the two apart. we put salvation over here and acceptance with God in our mind as two different things, but they're not. They're one and the same. Salvation and acceptance with God are one and the same. That is part of salvation, is I'm accepted by Him. And I'm accepted by Him not because of myself, but because of Jesus. That's reality. And so he suffered and died that he might bring us to God the Father. Now let's go on. He physically died and was brought back to life by the Holy Spirit. Jesus physically died and on the third day he arose. Why? Because the Holy Spirit brought him back to life. Now here's the exaltation of Jesus, verse 19 through 22. First of all, at the resurrection... Jesus proclaimed his victory to fallen angels. Look with me at verse 19. 
by whom he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Scripture points out that there are there's a place called the abyss where the uh, where angels are kept until that time, which I think is in Revelation when they are released for their purposes in the destruction of this world. And Peter tells us that he went and preached to them. I don't think he went and preached because he didn't need to preach. They're going to hell. He proclaimed his victory is what he was doing. He proclaimed his victory. Now, their imprisonment, these fallen angels were imprisoned for their disobedience at the time of Noah, is what he's saying in verse 20, who were formerly disobedient disobedience when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. So this happened during the time of Noah. Now, here's the symbolism. The salvation of Noah and his family is parallel to our salvation. Which, you know, you've got to think about that for a moment. Because sometimes we have this concept that as a believer I'm supposed to be perfect, everything's supposed to be wonderful, or maybe I'm not saved. All you got to do is look at Noah. God reached out and saved eight people, Noah and his family. They ride on the ark for 40 days. They wait for the waters to recede. Then they get off. And then Genesis goes and tells us that Noah was a vineyard keeper. So he was enjoying the products of the vineyard. And what happens? Scripture says he got drunk. Doesn't sound like a really good, righteous person there. And he lay in his bed naked, is what the scripture says. And so his one son comes in, and, and there's a lot of different arguments as far as what Ham did. All right? But what we see there is this a perfect family. But they had just experienced what? The salvation of God. But they just didn't just experience the salvation of God. They just witnessed what? the destruction of the entire world for the sins of the world. That keep them from sinning. You understand what I'm saying? So I, I want you to understand that. That's a good point for us to grasp. Is that salvation doesn't remove the ability to what? To sin. So salvation of Noah and his family is parallel to our salvation. Now here's the exaltation. Jesus has been exalted to the place above all creation. Jesus has been exalted to the place of power above all creation. Now you say, now what the, okay, I understand the suffering part because you know, we can look to Jesus and this whole issue of suffering and enduring and, and yeah, he's my example because he endured, I can endure if I follow his example. Now, just explain something to me, George. Why does he focus on the issue of exaltation? How does that help me when I'm enduring what I'm enduring? when I'm going through the suffering that I'm going through, how does the exaltation of Jesus help me as far as what I'm going through right now? Anybody have any ideas? Okay, Bruce, what did you say? Okay, if Jesus was exalted, we can be exalted is what he says. Anybody else want to add to what Bruce is saying here? Bruce is right. See, remember what I said to you earlier, that Peter says to you that if you suffer, you are what? Blessed. The blessing doesn't have to do with right now. It can. But in the greater sense of the suffering you endure, the blessing is what? Being with Christ later on. 
And there is a sense in which there is an exaltation that will come to you later because you've endured. In fact, you know what? Here's what I would, here's a good assignment for you if you want to. When you read through the book of Revelation, a lot of people read through the book of Revelation, they're looking for ideas about the future and wanting to know what's going to happen and everything. You know, that's fine. You can read it for that. But I want you to read it with this in mind. I want you to make note as you read through the book of Revelation how often he talks about honor being given to those who endure and persevere. See, that is one of the themes that goes throughout the book of Revelation. Is the honor and glory and blessing that is given to the saints for their endurance. In fact, interesting enough, if you just go in chapter 2 and 3 with each one of the seven churches, at the end, he gives a promise of a blessing and each there's a special blessing. Sometimes it's a twofold or threefold blessing. And the blessing to each one of the churches is, is that those who endure will receive this blessing. Because they endure. Because they persevere. Perseverance runs throughout. Perseverance of the saints runs throughout the whole book of Revelation. And he talks about the exaltation that comes later. See, this is why he talks, he gives us Christ's example of his suffering. Oh, we need to, you know, we need to endure suffering as Jesus endured suffering. But he also talks about the exaltation of Jesus. Because that's what will happen to us. We will be exalted. See, that's where our hope is. That's where our hope is. See, life can strip you of everything. And it may. But it can't take your Jesus. It can't take the hope that you have. See, that's, that's what needs to be our focus. Okay, next week we're going to uh, continue on. And we're going to look at suffering some more. We're going to talk about the proper attitude next week that we need to have in suffering. We're going to talk about our conduct in suffering, the kind of conduct you and I need to have in suffering. And we're going to talk about our endurance, how we can endure in the midst of the suffering that we go through for Jesus' sake. Let's uh, close our time in prayer.